All right. Well, I want to invite you to get your Bibles and turn, uh, first of all, um, to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. This morning um, is not going to be part of our regular series uh, in the book of Acts or in the Psalms, uh, but what we're actually doing is we're continuing uh, the theme that has taken place while we were up at camp, which is not only good for them, but it's good for us too. And I'll just, as a means of introduction, highlight some of the things that have taken place um, that have been really the, the point of our, of our time. And first of all, it's just understanding that God has... Uh, has created in his economy of things what are called the means of grace. We call them often spiritual disciplines. And uh, we can pursue spiritual disciplines as if they are, I want to say, boxes to check off and feel like, okay, I did this, I read my Bible, I prayed, you know, I did a number of these different disciplines, and now God must be impressed with me. And we, we learned that the, the goal isn't impressing God. The goal is to place yourself in these channels that God has established for us so that we can be built up by the Holy Spirit in the faith. And so uh, when we talk about a means of grace, just think of channels of, of water, so to speak, and you're, you're saying, I want to get wet here. I want to get wet here. I want to get wet here. Why? Because when I get wet, it's God who is at work in my life. He's doing these things in me. And, and if I choose not to place myself in these channels, then I'm missing out on the wonderful blessings and joys of what it means to be a follower of Christ and growing in Christ. We need these channels of grace. So we talked about uh, the, the, the channel, first of all, of Bible intake, the need to spend time reading our Bibles, not again just as a means of a checkoff, but allowing it to, to really take root and and then we moved into the discipline of meditation, an often neglected discipline, and really considered what meditation is. It's the bridge from reading to application. We, we think through what God says. We think about how it relates to our sanctification, to our, sanct uh, our salvation, how it points to Christ, how it reminds us of God's providence in our life, and a, a number of different things. Meditation is an absolutely necessary tool. And last night, I wasn't there, but uh, Dennis was instructing them on the discipline of prayer, which is often something that we struggle with. Um, and it's often like, you know, when you hear a sermon on prayer, it's kind of like, oh, they're going to challenge me. Because we all feel like we fall short in that area, and we want to do better. But it, again, when you place yourself in the channel of, of prayer, you place yourself in a means by which God demonstrates himself over and over again. Well, this morning, we want to look at the discipline of fellowship. And it might seem strange to call fellowship a discipline. But here's the proposition. Here's really what we want to get at this morning. And it's this. The discipline of fellowship is essential to our ongoing growth in Christ. It's essential. It's not an option. It's not just a thing that's out there that God says, well, if you want to enjoy fellowship, that's fine. But, you know, it's not really necessary. And especially in our context today, where, especially in America here, individualism is so, uh, so prioritized. And being a part of a body is not necessarily something that is intuitive in our culture. And yet God, through his word, is saying to us that the discipline of fellowship is essential for our ongoing growth in Christ. And I want you and I want us to hear that from a number of different texts. And so we're going to slowly make our way to, you know, 
point by point, but to greater application. So let's begin in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And I just want to remind you that this is somewhat of a summary text, but it's, it's, it's pointing to what happened to this newly found church. What were they doing? And there's really four things that are mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And the verses after that really kind of explain that a little bit more. But notice what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Just notice the, the word the, the article the, right? There's four things. The apostles' teaching, that's the doctrine. You know, how is Christ revealed in the Old Testament? How is it shown that he is the, the Messiah, the promised one from the Scripture? The fellowship. The breaking of bread. The idea is not so much the Lord's Supper as it is the, 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 the gathering together and enjoying meals together, which may have included the Lord's Supper. And then the prayers. Four things. And we want to focus in on the second one. And that is the fellowship. So our attention this morning is drawn to those two words, the fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? This word fellowship comes from a Greek word, koinonia. You've probably heard it many times before. And it's translated in a number of different ways, depending on the translation you have, or uh, maybe as you've looked at it into a, in a dictionary. But it can mean fellowship. It can mean partnership. It has the idea of communion. Right? So there's a togetherness factor here. It has the idea of sharing something in common. Don't think communism here, where everything that's yours is mine, right? And everything that's mine is mine if I'm in charge, right? That kind of a thing. No, it's, it's the idea of sharing in common. Uh, and it, and it, it is identifying the, the working togetherness of living out our life in the gospel in the context of the church. So it's, it's sharing life together, it's working together, it's growing together, it's teaching together. So now that the church is formed, it began to look like a family that cared for one another and was partnering together for mutual edification and growth. But I want you to notice something else about verse 42. I want you to notice the words, they devoted themselves. Right? They devoted themselves. In other words, this is not saying that fellowship just happened. And this is important. They made a conscious decision to be committed to these things. This was a mark of who they were. They devoted themselves. This word devoted has the idea of, of staying by or persisting at or remaining with. It implies a disciplined purpose to do something for the sake of others out of loyalty to them. In other words, fellowship didn't just happen. It must be cultivated, it must be worked at, and it must be nurtured. And so that is part of the heart and passion of God's people. We want to pursue that. Why? Because we are Christ, and we are then devoted to one another. And see, this, this individualism kicks in, right? So, well, I have my own personal relationship with Jesus, okay? We understand that. But God says, I've created the church <laughs> where individual people who have a personal relationship with Jesus come together to fellowship, 
to partner, to work together, to grow together, to share together, to live out the one another's throughout Scripture. So friends, here's just a, a beginning question as we look at this topic. Are you devoted to fellowship? Are you committed to sharing life together? Are you committed to partnering together? And what that means is there are times when you are going to have some gifts and, and skills that are going to help another brother or sister in Christ. And there are going to be times when another person from the church is going to have the spiritual gifts, so to speak, to come along and help you. That's partnership. That's joining together. Is fellowship a discipline that needs to be cultivated in your life? It's a discipline, which means that you have to choose to do it. You have to choose to step in to that river, so to speak, and to benefit from this means of grace. What are you doing to encourage fellowship? Let me give you just two quick suggestions of how you can at least begin to think about this. And some of you are already doing this. I recognize that. But I think this is a place to begin. The first one is participation. And this is something we try to emphasize really early in the founding of our church. And that is that simply being present and participating in the life of the body of Christ cultivates and nurtures fellowship. You know, someone comes to the church and says, I want to I get involved, I want to serve, what can I do? Well, first of all, come on Sunday morning. And secondly, place yourself in any gathering that's taking place around the church, whether it's a home group or a small group, just be there. Being present cultivates this partnership, this fellowship. Why? Because you're there. You're, you're involved. You're talking. You're interacting. You're encouraging. So simply participation. So it can be a church, a small group, any casual gatherings. Now, we're not putting like, you know, like, you know, stars for every time you visit something, say, oh, look at you now, you're really, really good at fellowship. The point is, you're, you're placing yourself in these avenues where just your presence can be an incredible source of encouragement and fellowship and partnership and sharing that maybe you wouldn't realize. Secondly, it's hospitality. Now, hospitality is the, de the deliberate use of your home or resources for the purpose of ministry. In other words, making your home a platform for a ministry or a place where ministry can take place, both formal and informal. Places where spiritual conversations can take place. Places where, where uh, there might be some casual counseling going on because you're interested in someone and they're asking questions. Hospitality is a wonderful resource for that. Now, some of you say, Pastor, that won't work as I live in an apartment. You know, and I have roommates, so it's going to be kind of weird for me to do that kind of stuff. All right. The spirit of hospitality, though, can still be present. You can invite someone out for a meal someplace and practice hospitality. You can say, we're going to meet at a park, and I'll pick up the food. And I'm, I'm the one who's initiating this. I'm one, the one who's wanting to make sure this tool, this gift of hospitality is taking place. Or maybe you can help someone who, who does have a home who's opening up their home, and you can be a resource for that time of hospitality. What I'm saying is we can all be doing this together, right? So the devotion of fellowship, it is something that God has given us, this koinonia, and it's something that the church was devoted to. In other words, they made this a discipline that they were pursuing together. Secondly, I want you to notice 
as we move to the book of Philippians, what I'm calling the intimacy of fellowship. When we are practically devoted to the discipline of fellowship, it will bear fruit in deeper intimacy with the body of Christ. All right? So the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippian church, models for us the intimacy that flows out of fellowship. And I'm just going to walk through Philippians 1, 3 through 11, and then maybe a little bit more, just highlight a few passages. So if you have your Bible, you may want to open it to Philippians just to see this. Many people think of Philippians as the book about what? Joy, all right? And it is full of joy. The problem, though, is when we limit it to that, we don't realize that the reason that it's full of joy is because of fellowship. In other words, joy is the fruit of the fellowship that we're going to find taking place among the Philippian people in particular with their relationship with Paul. This word koinonia is translated here partnership. So Paul says uh, uh, here, beginning at verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making uh, my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day, at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that you love, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I just want you to, I want to highlight just really six, I want to say statements or themes that flow out of this text as you begin to see this relationship with Paul in the Philippian church. First of all, you have thanksgiving or thankfulness, right? I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Now, you might remember some people and be thankful. And you might remember some people like, ugh. I don't know if I want to be thankful for them. But there are some people, when you remember them, they stir up in you great joy. You are thankful for them. And that's the second word there is joy, right? Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because he's remembering what's going on. That's what he says. Why? Because of your partnership, because of your koinonia, because of your fellowship, because of your sharing. And then we have encouragement. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, just when you look at someone and say, look, I, am, I know that God is, is working through you. I know that because you're a child of God, that there are things that are happening that are developing growth and maturity in Christ. There's encouragement going on here because of this partnership. Notice the affection. He says, it is right for me to what? Feel this way. I thought we as Christians weren't supposed to be feeling people, right? We're supposed to just do, do, do. No, there's affection here. There's a wonderful relationship that he has with these people. 
feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. And why? Why is that true? For you are all koinonia with me. Of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They partnered with him through thick and thin. And he's emphasizing here the thin, the imprisonment, the difficulty, the trial. And then he says, and it is my prayer, so this prayer now, that your love may abound more and more. Who do you pray for? Why do you pray for them? You pray for people you love. You pray for people you care about. That's what he's saying here. And then there's this whole idea of brotherhood. So just notice these, these words. Thanksgiving, joy, encouragement, affection, prayer, and brotherhood. Chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know brothers. Now, if you're a lady here, don't feel excluded. This is a collective word. Brothers and sisters, that's what's implied here. He's saying, I want you to know brothers, right? That is an affectionate expression. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved. Chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers. Chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is affection. This isn't just like technical, oh, you know what, I'm glad that God started a church here. That's a good thing. Keep it up. Yay, yay, yay. No, there's, there's a deep knitting together that has taken place with the Apostle Paul and these people. Chapter 4, verse 8, you know this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and so on. He's appealing to this brotherhood, this family relationship now that he has because of koinonia. So what we see here is this affectionate koinonia again and again in this epistle to the Philippian church. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Koinonia brings unity. It says being united in love in one accord of the same mind is what happens when true koinonia is present. See, koinonia pursues unity. It doesn't allow division to fester. It pursues this partnership, this sharing together. Chapter 3, verse 10. Koinonia embraces suffering. The Apostle Paul says that I may know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share, that's koinonia, his sufferings. And the reality is, friends, as we, as we live our lives, we share together in the sufferings of our pursuit of Christ. Uh, anyone here ever fallen on your face in sin? Or you're struggling and battling with sin and you have a brother or sister in Christ that's coming along and is praying for you and helping you. They're there to pick you up. They're there to encourage you. That's sharing that comes as a result of koinonia. And koinonia also shares burdens. Chapter 4, verse 14. It was kind of you 
to share that word koinonia again, my trouble. And he says, no church entered into partnership, koinonia, with me in giving and receiving you. And friends, what, what we want to make sure that we're cultivating here at Gateway is not a theoretical koinonia, but as a practical, affectionate, genuine, intimate koinonia. So do you see what's going on here? There's a blending of intimacy, affection, joy, and encouragement when we partner and share life together in our pursuit of Christ. One pastor confesses, for me, fellowship was Christians eating donuts and drinking coffee, and I just couldn't understand how it could be important to God. And it took many years for me to figure out what fellowship really is. But again and again, it has been the means that God has used to sustain my faith, to keep me grounded, and to help me thrive in my relationship with Jesus. He recognized, I need fellowship. I need this partnership. I need this sharing. I need this commitment. So when we talk about church membership in our church, it's not about being able to stand up and vote because we don't do that. What church membership is saying, I am committing to you that koinonia is going to come from me and I'm expecting it to come from you. And we're talking about this kind of affectionate, joyful, intimate fellowship and sharing in our walk with God. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The intimacy of fellowship. And then finally, I want to land the plane on this very, very practical passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And, and here we're, we're, we're just seeing two verses that really flesh out what it means to have this koinonia at work. Well, let's read it, and then we'll break it down really into four sections, okay? It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing I want you to notice here is this. It says, let us consider. Let us consider one another. The word consider means to direct one's whole mind toward an object. Last night, say maybe late afternoon yesterday, I was sitting down talking with a number of guys, Chris and uh, let's see, who else was there? Dennis was there for a little bit. But, uh, huh? Yeah, and Scott and Oni was sitting there. We were, we were just talking together, and, and um, Dennis's daughter, Aria, comes walking up, and she has in her hand a popsicle. And she's, like, standing right in front of me next to the table, and Dennis is like, oh, I need to, I need to leave for a bit. So Dennis leaves, and she had this popsicle, and I said, Dennis, don't worry, I'll, I'll make sure she's okay. And so she's standing there, and she's going away at this popsicle. All right? Five minutes goes by. Ten minutes goes by. You know, we're, and we're, as men, we're just having this wonderful conversation, fellowshipping together, talking about things. And there she is just eating away at this popsicle, right? About 20 minutes later, Dennis comes by. And Dennis, I know you're, you're watching. Not a, no problem there. We were fine. But she was there. She had not moved for 20 minutes. 
She was so consumed with eating this popsicle. Her, her whole mind was directed to this popsicle. Friends, that's what's going on here. Paul is saying that our whole mind, our whole being should be directed toward one another. We are to pay attention, pay, pay careful attention to one another, to take note of each other's spiritual welfare. So welfare. We're, we're looking out. We're looking at the body of Christ, not to criticize, but to see if there's a way that we can be of help, to see if there's a way that we can come alongside, to see if there's some, some need that needs to be met. We're looking out for it. So we're considering one another. We're not just so consumed with what we're doing that we have no, no eyes to see. And again, in our contemporary consumer culture, we often magnify, um, you know, consider me of, uh, above and beyond consider one another. In other words, what's more important is that my needs are met, that my family's needs are met, that my children's needs are met, rather than coming into a church and saying, we are here to serve the body. This is a different mindset, isn't it? But here in Hebrews, we have a call for God's people to consider others before themselves, to look hard at the people you call your church family and assess the spiritual needs that are before you. And notice here, what he's saying is that now you're, 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 you're a body, you're a family. You are your brother's keeper. You are, you are there to look out for your brother and your sister in Christ. And you look out for them because you want to take care of them. And you're directing your whole mind to their spiritual welfare. You are ready to serve them because they are united to you in Christ. That's what it means to be a church. And this is fellowship. This is partnership. You know the very famous statement by you know, John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Very powerful and poignant statement in the history of our nation. But he was almost right. It's really, ask not what your church family can do for you, ask what you can do for your church family. It's a different attitude. It's a different mindset. And unfortunately, as in my experience as a pastor, that's not usually the mindset. It's usually, what can this church do for me? What are all the bells and whistles that we have? Well, we got some bells, we got some whistles, and sometimes the bells don't ring quite as loud, and the whistles are kind of, you know. But we're, we have stuff, but the point is, health in the body of Christ comes when people are saying, how can I partner and share with you? So let us consider one another. Let's look out to one another, not with judging eyes, but with eyes that want to care and, and consider and, and help one another. Secondly, let us stir up one another. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another. That word how, by the way, is not in the uh, original. It's there to kind of smooth things around. But it says, consider, let me say, stirring up one another. <laughs> Now, this idea of stir up literally means to provoke or irritate. Now, there are some of you that provoke or irritate, and we want to talk to you afterwards. Um, and oftentimes, this word is, is used in the negative, mostly in the negative. I mean, for example, it's used in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, where we find this recorded by Luke. Now, Paul, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. 
Now, you probably have experienced that kind of thing. You've gone someplace, and you've seen kind of evil on display, and in your heart, it's provoked. It's like, how can this be happening? Right? And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, um, talking about love, it says, is, it is not irritable or resentful. King James says it is not easily provoked. All right? So love is not irritable. So it's, it's often used in the negative, right? And, and, but here, uh, the writer of Hebrews is using it positively. And the idea of provoking then or irritating is to provoke or irritate one another toward love or good works, right? To stimulate one another to, toward growing in Christ. So negatively, we, we provoke people with our words and our actions that put down or tear apart things like, there is no way that you can do that. Or you are a loser. You'll always be a loser. You have been and you always will be. Or just give up trying to be the good person that you want to be. Just give it up. It's not working. When are you going to grow up? Maybe you've said that to, to someone. And really, ultimately, it's the picture of a bully joyfully poking and prodding his victim toward anger. Poke, poke, poke. Provoke, 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 provoke. Positively, however, we stimulate one another with words and actions that bear fruit in love and in good works. See, we're no longer bullies, but in a sense cheerleaders or coaches seeking to prod the child of God to embrace the resources of the gospel and to press on with God's help. So we say things like this, I know that your circumstances uh, look and feel daunting, but God's, God's grace is there to help you face them. Or we say something like, you're a child of God, loved by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit with the counsel of the Holy Scriptures and the love of the body. You can press on. You can do this. See, these are all proddings, proddings, stimulation, encouragements. Or friend, here is a helping hand to get you out of the ditch, off the couch, untangled from that net of sin. Those are all words to, to help people along, to encourage them, to step out. And this is what God is calling us to do as the church, as a people who want to pursue koinonia, to stir up one another, to provoke one another, to, to irritate one another, for the pursuit of Christ-likeness. Now, it's, it's spelled out for us, isn't it, here? The goal of that provoking and stimulation is love and good works, which really are a summary of the fruit of Christian character in the life of a believer, right? Christ-like affections, love, and Christ-like actions, good works. This is what flows out of our intimacy together as the body of Christ, encouraging one another, stimulating one another. So, what does this positive provoking or stimulation look like? I just sat down and jotted a few things down that I think we see happening in the context of the church, or maybe things that could. Praying with and for others when they're facing a trial. You are prodding someone to keep going. Prodding someone to maintain their faith. 
prodding someone to look to Jesus by saying, I'm praying with you, I'm praying for you. In fact, let's pray now. Sharing a meal when, when a family is in crisis. You know, many times we have these meal train things that happen when someone's in crisis or they're going through a difficult time. Simply sharing a meal can be a means by which you are prodding someone toward maintaining their faith, keeping on going for the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be meeting regularly with a brother or sister in Christ, maybe over coffee, a meal, maybe at the park. Maybe it's with your kids and you have a play date, but you're, you're constantly having these times where you're encouraging one another, you're, provo you're, you're provoking one another to keep pressing on. Modeling faith in Christ by endurance and eyes fixed on Christ. Uh, you're prodding people simply by doing what you're supposed to be doing. Other people watch it. Other people see it. Counseling and comforting others when they fall flat on their face in sin. It's a means of provoking people to keep on turning to Christ, keep on looking to Christ. So friends, the point here is that this cannot happen unless the discipline of fellowship is actively present in your life. A couple of questions here. Do you care about the body of Christ or are you only concerned that the body of Christ is there to serve you? Or are you actively involved in provoking and or stimulating others toward Christ-likeness? Or are you just concerned for your own Christian growth? I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called eco-challenge before. Um, it promotes itself as the world's toughest race, where a team of four athletes from various countries join together to make a team, and they race against the clock, but... Uh, but 24-7, until they're done, across hundreds of miles through raging rivers and thick jungles, and sometimes over oceans, they're paddling on boats to get someplace. Sometimes they're rocks they have to climb. All sorts of crazy, extreme type stuff. And one of the things that's really incredible about this whole thing is that in order to actually finish the race, all four of those participants have to make it across the finish line. If one of them gives up, one of them gets injured, one of them gets angry, the whole team loses. Now, friends, when we think about stirring up one another, we need to remind ourselves of something, that in the Christian life, it is not about who will finish first, but that we all finish Right? It is our responsibility then as the body of Christ and this idea of, of partnership and koinonia and fellowship to get team gateway over the finish line. We're committed to each other. At least we should be. So we have someone who's struggling. They've got, you know, maybe they twisted an ankle and they need someone to carry them. Or maybe they're exhausted and so we're going to slow down. The goal isn't to get there first. The goal is to get everyone across the line. Now, if you're just concerned about your own spiritual growth, when I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and you're neglecting the body of Christ, then you're not a team player. You're not koinonia. You're not team gateway. And so, friends, we need to cultivate an attitude that is willing to share life together so that we are provoking one another toward ongoing Christian growth and maturity. Let us consider one another. Let us stir up one another. Third, let us meet together with one another. 
The verse actually says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So the writer here of Hebrews emphasizes that fellowship can only happen if God's people are committed to meeting together. And apparently the faith of some in the body of Christ had wavered to the point that rather than enjoying the regular fellowship with other believers, they had developed the habit of not meeting with them. And the writer calls this what? Neglect. To have a wonderful resource, a channel of grace available to you, and to choose not to do it is a biblical form of spiritual neglect. So choosing not to come to church, choosing not to be a part of a home group or some kind of a small group gathering, choosing not to have of fellowship, meeting together, is spiritual neglect. That's what he's saying. This is what God calls us to. This is what we need. This is why there's the body of Christ. Now certainly you can say, well, I, yeah, I can still continue a relationship. Yes. But what you're lacking is the blessing and the benefit of the body. And that's why I call this a strange neglect, isn't it? Why would you stop going to a place that provided nourishment, strength, encouragement, help, and stimulation for your growth in Christ? Well, we're watching online. You know, we're watching John MacArthur. And then we're going to go over and we're going to watch R.C. Sproul. And we're going, all right, that's good. And all those guys are great. But you need to be under your local body of believers and under that leadership that they're your elders, because they know you better, they know your concerns better, they're praying for you. So all this is necessary. I listen to those guys, but not as a replacement for the local church that God has called me to be in. Why would you avoid the very place that God has set up to be your spiritual refuge? See, one of the things we may not realize is that you need the body of Christ to help sharpen you, to help come alongside and say, Let's talk a little bit, because I, I think, I think there's, a, there's a sin issue here, and I want to help you, brother or sister. I, I'm not here to condemn you. I want to come alongside and help you. But we need that. This is all part of the body of Christ, right? But it could be the reason you're neglecting is because of sin, so you've been fooled into thinking this is okay. Spiritual laziness, which I think can happen, especially because of all the technology we have, which has its blessing, right? We're experiencing it right now. And it could be due to your ongoing fear. And certainly COVID has, has established the habit in many people, and you probably had to fight through this of, oh, I don't have to get up and go anywhere. I can just sit here and be in my pajamas and eat a bowl of cereal while I'm watching Pastor Rod preach. I don't see anyone in their pajamas today or eating a bowl of cereal. You fought out of that habit. But it's possible, and I think there are plenty of people, not just at Gateway, but from other churches, that have developed the habit of, you know, I don't have to go. I'm just going to watch it at home. And that is a willful choice to neglect koinonia. Look, God says, I've created the church to be a place where you can find help, encouragement, guidance, friendship, spiritual food, health, and growth. But some say, well, God... All that really matters is that I have a personal relationship with you. 
And God responds, it is true that your personal relationship with me is important. And that is why you need to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. <laughs> your personal relationship is only going to grow as a result of your interaction with the body of Christ. He's saying, I never created you to go at it alone. You need the body of Christ, so don't neglect or reject the gift of fellowship. Because it is exactly what you need. Let us consider one another. Huh? Look out. We care for one another. Let us stir up one another. Let us meet together with one another. And the last one here is this, let us encourage one another. And it says here, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the idea here of encouragement works hand in hand with the idea of provoking. Because the word encourage is the Greek word parakaleo, means to, to walk alongside. And it doesn't mean you're walking alongside, you know, poking, poking, poking the whole time. But you're walking alongside. You're walking along in a journey together seeking to stimulate one another to pursue Christ and to keep going on, right? Have you, you ever been on a, on a walk by yourself? And you're like, ah, I just don't know I want to do that. And the, you have, you're with someone, they're like, you know what? Either they're like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to do that either. Well, that's not good. That's not healthy. But you, you actually get stimulated and helped by that person who's walking along with you. It's the same word that is used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete. He is the one who walks alongside. And God has called us and encouraged one another. And there is an urgency here, isn't there? All the more, as you see the day drawing near. The Lord is coming. The Lord is returning. And you need to keep pressing on, keep moving on that journey. So fellowship here is seen as provoking or stimulating encouragement to press on in your Christian journey. And who doesn't need that? So friends, we want to place ourselves in the channel of koinonia and to make this discipline of fellowship uh, something that is uh, an established reality in our life. As we bring this to a close, I have four statements that begin with the letter P that I want to kind of help us think through here. First of all, I want to talk about a paradox. Um, but this is important. And I think from our time in the Word, as well as other places, we can, we can say this with, with pretty much certainty. You can only have horizontal fellowship if there is true vertical fellowship going on. And that's a, in other words, your relationship with Christ has to be present in order for that horizontal relationship to actually take place. You need it. But then secondly, God uses horizontal fellowship to encourage and strengthen vertical relationship with Christ. So there has to be this relationship with Christ that enables this partnership in ministry, this koinonia. But then God uses koinonia to encourage our relationship with Christ. You see how that all is working together there. It's not one or the other. It's both and. So secondly, it's the word plan. We need a plan. Some of you are already well invested in the discipline of fellowship. And to you, I want to encourage you to both model it and to help others follow your example, being a resource to help them do it. But some are tentative to step in and, 
and really experience fellowship. But you can begin small. Start by being committed to the Sunday morning gatherings. Then take a plunge and participate in a small group. Just being present. You don't necessarily have to say anything. Just be there. Nibble on the food. Listen to what's happening. And before long, you'll start to find yourself welcome and, and your, your words kind of contributing or listening and hearing something. It's like, hey, I needed that. And here I have something to contribute. It might be small. But you, you begin to see that happening. Then take initiative to organize times of fellowship in your home, at the park, at a restaurant. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. But just begin to see koinonia cultivated in your own life, to plan on, this, on, on cultivating this discipline of fellowship. Third here is a promise. And I think based on what we said, I can say this very, very confidently. When you prioritize and invest in the discipline of fellowship, God will use it both to strengthen your faith and the faith of those to whom you are partnering with. I have the backing of Scripture to make that promise. You do this. You will benefit from it, and others will benefit from it too. And then finally, a plea. Don't, don't, don't neglect the discipline of fellowship. Whatever your struggle, it could be fear, it could be the fact that you're self-conscious, it could be that you just don't like to be in a group where you have to say certain things and you're not, worried, you're not sure if I'm going to say the right things. Maybe you have a hard time just meeting new people. Maybe you're entangled in sin. Guess what? All of us have been there or are still there. We're all struggling people, sinful people. Some of us have gotten used to it a little bit. Yesterday after lunch we're at camp, we all went down to this area where there's like a river running through at the camp, and it's kind of like these rapid areas there, and this water is nice, and everyone went down there, and, and, and I'm down there, and I'm you know, in my bathing suit, and I'm looking in the water, and you test the water, and it's like, ooh, it's cold. It's mountain water, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to get in there and get down to my ankles. All oh, that feels nice, and you get down to your knees. You're like, okay, that's kind of cool, but it's definitely cold. But there comes a point in time when you have to take the plunge. And you take the plunge into that water and it's like, oh, it's cold. But then you get up out of that water and you feel so refreshed. My friends, what I want to encourage you with here as we kind of bring this to a close is don't allow the coolness of the water, so to speak, of your experience to hinder you from enjoying the refreshment of what it means to participate in a koinonia activity in the body of Christ. Don't see it as something that's on the side. See it as something essential. And see it as the means by which, and there's a number of different means of grace, but as the means by which God is now refreshing you with his body to help you and to nurture you and to grow you to be more and more like his son. The discipline of fellowship is essential to our ongoing growth in Christ. Let's not neglect it. Let's place ourselves in it. 
and benefit from the wonderful grace that God has given us. Lord, help us today. As we just continue our lives to, to value the beauty of the church and, Lord, to value the beauty of what it means to be people in partnership together, stimulating one another, encouraging one another, meeting regularly with one another. Lord, we, we are privileged to have this, this mechanism you've put in place called the body of Christ, called the family of God. So, Lord, uh, may we fight through whatever it is that might keep us away, whether it's keeping us away from gathering on Sunday morning or keeping us away from gathering in smaller groups. Lord, help us to, to cultivate this discipline in our lives and in our church so that we can be a people, Lord, that are seeing the benefit and the fruit of this koinonia activity, Lord, at work in and through us for your glory. In your precious name. Amen.